Well, what a privilege it is to be tonight together. What a gift of grace to worship the Lord. We're so thankful to the Lord for the ministry of Isaiah in 180, a camp region. And we also are so thankful to the Lord for the ministry of Tom Patton for our three, uh, this, uh, this marriage, this couple, John and Erica and Nun, who got baptized. What a great blessing. Every Sunday, the testimonies are such a blessing. And I don't know about you, but I've never heard Bill Brandenstein singing solo. He's so good. He holds back every Sunday. He's very humble. I'm glad he lets others sing. He's, it was great. And tonight we come to a very important section of Scripture that helps us to deal with our complaints, our slander, our unbelief, and helps us to understand better our Lord's faithfulness. This is the second part of our panoramic study of the book of Numbers. Now remember that in Numbers, the Lord was preparing Israel to enter the land by refining them. That's the key word, refining them. The book of Numbers describes 39 years in which the nation of Israel wandered in the desert. Remember that they left Egypt at about 1445 B.C. And the following 39 years are covered by the book of Numbers. And we would finish at around 1405 B.C. That was the year when the Lord wrote the book of Numbers through Moses. And remember that. Numbers was written to the children of the Israelites who left Egypt. And we can divide the book into two parts. We're still in part one, the first generation in the desert. We see this in chapters 1 through 25. And part two, the second generation in Moab, chapters 26 through 36. Now, why did God write this book for? To prepare Israel to enter the land. And as someone said, he prepared them to enter the land by refining them, by cleansing them from sin. And after camping in Sinai 11 months, at about 1444 B.C., in Numbers chapter 10, they're heading towards the promised land, and this takes us to Numbers chapter 11. And here in Numbers chapter 11, we open our study tonight we plan to look at chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. And here in Numbers chapters 11 through 15, we find four groups of lessons that teach us how to deal with several sins. Four groups of lessons that teach us how to deal with several sins. Let's start with the first group in Numbers chapter 11, lessons on complaints. Lessons on complaints. This is a Department of Complaints, sadly, we are very, very similar to Israel, as you know. And in the first 10 chapters, we saw repeatedly, you remember from last week, that God commanded and Israel obeyed. Chapter 10 practically ends up in a tone of obedience. But look at the shift in Numbers chapter 11. Here's a strong change. Here in Numbers 11.1, 1, we see the first time in the book of Numbers where the people sinned, provoked the wrath of Yahweh, and Yahweh responded with judgment. 
And what you see in Numbers 11.1 is a cycle of two parts that is repeated several times in the book of Numbers. In the first part, we see that Israel complained. And in the second part, we see that the Lord judged them. And this again showed that the Lord was refining them spiritually. And there is a sense in which Numbers chapter 11 is a foundational chapter for the rest of the book. Why? Because it teaches us so many truths about this recurring sin in Israel. And this is why we plan to spend a few minutes in chapter 11. And here in Numbers 11, you have three selected lessons on complaints. Why we say selected? Because there's many more. Because of time, we can't look at all of them. But here you have three lessons on complaints. Number one, complaints are sinful. Complaints are sinful. Look at verse 1. Numbers 11, verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of calamity in the years of Yahweh. And Yahweh heard it, and he, his anger was kindled. And the fire of Yahweh burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The text doesn't say why they complain. But just as with Israel, our Lord knows when we complain, hates when we complain, and we expose ourselves to his discipline when we complain. No wonder, as Bill read a moment ago, Philippians 2.14 commands us to do all things without complaining. From a certain standpoint, complaining does not seem to be as serious, let's say, as lying or as stealing or killing so, why does our Lord, as we see here in Numbers 11.1, 1, why does our Lord treat the sin of complaining in such a strong way when it doesn't really seem to be that serious? Because when we complain, we are rebelling against Him. Complaining shows that we reject what He has brought into our lives in His providence, as someone said. We can ask the Lord to take us out of a certain situation that might tempt us to complain. But in the end, instead of complaining, we need to cultivate gratitude to our Lord, submission to our Lord, with a mindset that says, your will be done. Look at a second of three lessons on complaints. When we complain, we are carnal. When we complain, we act in a carnal way. Hereafter they complain, and the Lord miraculously burns some of the outskirts of the camp in verses 1 and 2. In verse 4, we find another complaint. Look at it. Numbers eleven four, And the rabble, these were Gentiles who joined them as they left Egypt. The Gentiles, verse 4, who were among them had greedy desires. Look at their covetousness. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Verse 5, we remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now, verse 6, our appetite is right up. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Look at how ungrateful they were. The Lord had just rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. 
Miraculously, with the plagues, he provided manna for them. Miraculously, they did not lack food one single day. And they complained. Because they ate manna and not what they ate in Egypt. Manna was a true superfood. Unlike so many superfoods in our day. And we tried to come up with some sort of manna. We wish that smoothie or that protein bar or that new ingredient would be the perfect food. No. Impossible. Only manna. The manna was the best food after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Think about this. Manna was so good as food that the Israelites did not get sick. We have no record in all of Exodus or Numbers, Deuteronomy, of them getting sick other than when the Lord brought sickness to them because he judged them. There was not a department of medicine, or medical uh, issues. No, they did not get sick. They did not suffer of anemia, obesity due to manna. They just had to eat manna until they were satisfied. They didn't have to worry about the amount of calories, vitamins, fiber. None of that. That would be incredible. Can you imagine? So why did they complain? Because of greed. Verse 4. Verse 34. Because they were not content with what the Lord gave to them. When we complain, we do not want what the Lord in His providence has given us. And we want what he has not given us. Notice that they were more concerned about their physical comfort than their spiritual life. It's the same with us. When we complain, it is because we care more about our physical well-being than about our spiritual well-being. Think about it. When we complain, we are more concerned about our physical comfort than about growing spiritually through our physical discomfort. And here's the third and final lesson on complaints. When we complain, we are selfish. When we complain, we act in a selfish, proud way. Look at verse 10. Here in verses 10 to 15, Moses also complained. And here's a warning. Even the most mature and faithful, even Faithful leaders like Moses might sin in this area. He did. And notice that we complain when we're selfish. We're proud. We complain because we're thinking about us, not about the Lord. Look at how Moses reflects this. Notice here in Numbers 11.10 how many times Moses refers to himself. Numbers 11.10. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of Yahweh was kindled greatly. And it was evil in the sight of Moses. Verse 11. So Moses said to Yahweh, Why have you allowed this evil toward your slave? This is Moses. And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Verse 12. Was it I who conceived all these people? Was it I who gave birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing baby to the land which you swore to their fathers? 
Notice the emphasis, verse 13, he keeps going. Where, where am I to get me to give to all these people? For they weep before me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. 14, I alone am not able to carry all these people because it is too heavy for me. And hold on to your seats. Verse 15, this is Moses. So if you are going to deal thus with me, Please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Amazing. The flesh is truly weak. Even after Moses, at this point, remember, he had already seen the burning bush. He had been used to by the Lord to execute the miracles in Egypt, the opening of the Red Sea. Here he's eating manna and the pillar of cloud and fire is right there in front of him. And here he is so focused on himself, thinking that all depends on him. And he's hopeless to the point that he asked the Lord to take his life. Here you have an example of how some of us, even as true believers, when we forget the truth of Scripture... Our minds focus on us to such a level that we forget the Lord's resources. And we might be so discouraged that we don't want to continue living. And we might be even tempted to sin by taking our life. According to this text, what is the cause of this? Pride. Selfishness. You believe that everything depends on you. That's a lie. Everything does not depend on you. Everything depends on the Lord. If you're discouraged to the point of not wanting to live, it could be that it is because you're believing the lie that everything depends on you. How do you correct this? How do you find encouragement if you're thinking like Moses here? You remember and submit to the truth of who is the Lord according to the Scriptures. We see it here. And in the next verses, go to verse 23. But in the next verses, the Lord in His grace gave Moses a group of men to help him and told Moses that the Lord would feed Israel. And Moses did not believe that the Lord could give meat to so many people. And this is how the Lord answered, verse 23. Listen to this. Numbers eleven twenty-three. And Yahweh said to Moses, Is Yahweh's power limited? Rhetorical question. The answer is in the question. Of course, powers Yahweh is not limited. Verse 23, he told, the Lord told Moses, Now you shall see whether my word will happen for you or not. Here you have the truth that corrects the selfish mindset that leads to despair. Listen. The omnipotent Yahweh makes possible the fulfillment of His Word. The Almighty Lord makes possible the fulfillment of His Word. If you are tempted to sin by committing suicide, it could be that it is because you're thinking that everything depends on you. And you need to remember that everything depends on the Lord Jesus Christ, not on you. You need to repent from thinking that everything depends on you and cry out to the Lord for Him to keep you from temptation and avoid anything that feeds the temptation to think about yourself and suicide and occupy your mind with the Word of God. 
And if you need help to strengthen yourself spiritually against this temptation, we encourage you to talk to one of your ministry leaders. Talk to one of the men and women in the prayer room to your left at the end of the service. Talk to one of the pastors. If you are younger, talk to your parents. Don't feel embarrassed to look for help. We all struggle in different areas of temptation, as James 1 says. And part of the blessing of the church is to help each other in our daily fight against our sin. Remember, there are many of us in this church who love you and want to help you. Look at verse 31. Look at how the Lord refined Israel through this situation. Verse 31. Now when there went forth a wind from Yahweh, and he brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits, about three feet high, over the surface of the ground. Apparently the quail were flying, but this was a miracle. Uh, and verse 31 says it. Now there went forth a wind from Yahweh. And it was a lot of quail because this is for two million Israelites to eat. Verse 33. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against the people. And Yahweh struck the people with a very severe plague. The Lord certainly purified Israel to a certain extent through this judgment. But sadly, in chapter 12, the situation gets worse. You say, really? Yes, really. Look at the second group of lessons in Numbers chapter 12. Lessons on slander. Lessons on slander. Here's more refining going on. But now, in Moses' family, here we find three lessons to deal with slander. Number one, when slandered, let God defend you. When someone slanders you, let God defend you. Look at Numbers 12.1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had taken as a wife. For he had taken a Cushite woman. This was just an excuse. Look at it, verse 2. And they, this is Miriam and Aaron, said, Has Yahweh indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And Yahweh heard it. As always, he hears everything. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Now Moses wrote this. It doesn't sound too humble. But remember that the Holy Spirit led him to write this. And this comment about his humility is important. Because his humility is the reason why Moses responded to this slanderous attack in the way he did here in chapter 12. Look at it in verse 4. Suddenly Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Verse 7. Here in verse 7, compared to how the Lord would reveal himself to any other prophet, verse 7, not so, he told them. With my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. Wow. If the Lord says that you're faithful, that settles it. It's like with Job, right? He said Job was faithful. That's it. Faithful? 
but not perfect, right? Verse 7 says that Moses, according to the Lord, was faithful, but not perfect. Why do we say that? Because we just saw in chapter 11. But this is a faithful believer. This is any faithful believer. Not perfect, but he presses on. Genuine. He lives in Philippians 3. Pressing on. And notice verse 8. Notice how the Lord defended Moses from Miriam and Aaron. Numbers 12, 8. With him, that is with Moses, I speak mouth to mouth. Indeed clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Yahweh. Why then, the Lord asked Miriam and Aaron, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Notice that Moses did not defend himself. The Lord defended Moses. And as Romans 12, 16 to 21 shows, when we are slandered, the Lord will take care of those who attack us or slander us. Our responsibility, our responsibility is to be like Moses, humble. And we show that humility, listen, by not seeking to take revenge of those who slander us, but by trusting that the Lord will take care of them. And the Lord often uses slander to show us that we are not as humble as we think we are. Because when someone slanders us, And we want to defend ourselves, responding with sinful anger or even revenge. That shows pride in us, not humility. Here's a second lesson on slander. Do not think that, slanders, that slander respects old age. Do not think that slander respects old age. Now remember that Miriam was the oldest sister, then Aaron, and Moses was the baby brother of the three. And here in Numbers 12, Moses sees the baby again of the three. He's about 81 years old. Aaron is 84, about 84, and Miriam about 93, 94. And here they are after they had seen how the Lord used their brother Moses, miracle after miracle in the Exodus. Again, they had the pillar of fire and cloud right there in front of them here in Numbers 12. They saw how the Lord gave the law in Sinai through their brother Moses. They were eating manna every day, even after the Lord used Miriam, remember? In Exodus 15, to speak and lead the, woman, the women in praise. After the Lord spoke to Pharaoh through Aaron, and the Lord appointed Aaron as a high priest. After all of that, here Miriam and Aaron sinned. Even when they were, he was... About 84, and she was about 93, 94. They sinned by being proud and jealous of their little brother and slandering him, speaking against him. What a lesson. How easily can someone sin? How humbling, even in a family of spiritual leaders, even at an old, at an old age, sinning by being proud and jealous. What a warning for us. How much do we need to guard our walk in the Spirit by the Lord's grace to be obedient? No matter how old we are, no matter how prominent our spiritual responsibility is, no matter how many decades we've served the Lord. Go down to verse 9. Here's our third and final lesson on slander. 
Respond to slander in love. Respond to slander in love. Look at verse 9. Look at how the Lord disciplined Miriam and how Moses, Moses responded. Numbers 12, 9. So the anger of Yahweh burned against them and he went away. But in verse 10, the cloud withdrew from over the tent and behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam and behold, she was leprous. Why Miriam and not Aaron? Probably because Miriam initiated the slander. And here the Lord refined them by judging Miriam. And look at verse 11. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not place this sin on us, in which we have acted foolishly and in, we, and in which we have sinned. Verse 12, Oh, this is Aaron interceding to Moses on behalf of Miriam. Verse 12, Oh, do not let her be like one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. And look in verse 13 at this response. And Moses cried out to Yahweh, saying, Oh God, heal her, I pray. This shows again what we saw in verse 3. That Moses was a humble man. Although Miriam sinned against Moses and God judged Miriam with leprosy, Moses asked the Lord to cure her of leprosy. Notice that, notice that Moses did not show anger, did not show bitterness. He did not want revenge. How hard it is to do this. In fact, impossible by ourselves. But by the power of the Spirit, this is how we must respond to those who slander us. We need to pray for the Lord to bless them with repentance and forgiveness. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for the Lord to bless with repentance and forgiveness those who slander us, as Romans twelve fourteen says. This is paying back good for evil. When I see Moses here letting the Lord take care of his slanderers and asking the Lord to bless them, I am reminded of our pastor John, who for so many decades has responded to slander in the same way as Moses did here. What a blessing to see Numbers 12 lived out in front of us for so many years. But you know what is a greater blessing? This points us to our Lord because he responded to slander in exactly the same way. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our Lord being reviled was not reviling in return. While suffering, he was uttering no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Look at a third group of lessons in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Lessons on unbelief. Lessons on unbelief. These two chapters are extremely important for at least three reasons. Number one, they teach us how serious the sin of unbelief is. They teach us how serious the sin of unbelief is. Secondly, chapters 13 and 14 determine the next 40 years of Israel's life. Chapters 13 and 14 determine the next 40 years of Israel's life. And thirdly, 
These chapters give us a reason why the Lord killed the first generation of the Exodus. Here we find the reason why the Lord killed the first generation of the Exodus. Let's look briefly at three lessons about unbelief in chapters 13 and 14. Here's lesson number one. If you sin of unbelief, you will twist reality. If you sin of unbelief, you will twist reality. In verses 1 to 20 of Numbers 13, the Lord commanded Moses to send 12 men, one from each tribe, in order to spy out the land. And they came back in Numbers 13, 25. Look at verse 25. Then they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. They would have traveled a little under 350 miles in those 40 days. In verses 27 to 29, they gave a report on the trip. But look at verse 30, Numbers 13, 30. Then Caleb, one of the 12 spies, quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we are surely able to overcome it. Notice that Caleb did not correct anything about the report of the other 10 spies. He just encouraged Israel to take possession of the land. Caleb was convinced that the Israelites had more ability than the Canaanites because the Lord was with Israel, as we see in Numbers 14.9. And here in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, Caleb spoke on behalf of Joshua, whom you remember was the other faithful spy. He also spoke, Caleb, on behalf of Moses and Aaron. But the other ten spies did not agree with Caleb. Look at verse 31, Numbers 13, 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Notice the phrase here, we are not. From the Hebrew, it could be translated, we will never be able. We are not able. We will never be able. Verse 32. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report. This was a false report. They lied of the land which they had spied out. And go down to 14.1. Numbers 14.1. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. And in verse 2, and all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would, we, would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we had died in this wilderness? And listen to this, verse 3. And why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Listen to what they said. The Lord brought them here to give them the land, not to kill them. And they're saying, why did God bring us here to kill us? This is blasphemy. Notice how their unbelief twisted the truth. Unbelief twists the truth, twists reality. Just as in Isaiah 5, they call good evil. Those, those unfaithful Israelites, just as we see in the Gospels, the Jewish leaders saying that the Lord casted out demons by the power of Satan. Same idea with Romans 1. Unbelief leads to irrational thinking. Even as believers, we do this when we sin by not believing the Scriptures at any given point. 
This is why many unbelievers think that animals and plants are more important than humans. Or they believe that you have the body of a man, but you believe you're a woman. Unbelief twists reality. Look at verse 8, Numbers 14.8. Here's a second lesson. If you sin of unbelief, you will reject Scripture. If you sin of unbelief, you will reject Scripture. Numbers 14.8. Here's Joshua, the other spy who along with Caleb believed in the Lord. Numbers 14.8. If Yahweh is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Notice that Joshua and Caleb believed that Yahweh would determine the outcome, not them. And here's their exhortation for Israel and the other ten spies, verse 9. But as for you, only do not rebel against Yahweh, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has been removed from them, and Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. Notice that when notice that when we believe God's word, as Joshua and Caleb did, we look at life from the standpoint of the scriptures, not from the standpoint of human resources. Verse 10. Look at the contrast. Numbers 14:10. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of Yahweh appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And here's a very important truth. Verse 11, Yahweh said to Moses, How long will these people spurn me? And listen to this. And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have done in their midst. In spite of so many miracles that the Lord had shown them. At this point, remember, they had seen the plagues, the crossing in the Red Sea. Water from the rock, manna, the quail, the pillar of cloud on fire, Miriam's leprosy in chapter 11. In spite of all of this, they did not believe his word. Here's a great truth. Just as the Lord said in Luke 16, if they do not believe the scriptures, they will not believe even if someone raises from the dead. Just as we learned in Exodus with Pharaoh when Josiah explained this. From the standpoint of human responsibility, if you choose not to believe something about Scripture, it is due to rebellion towards the Lord and His Word, not due to a lack of information. Look at verse 28. Third and last lesson. If you sin of unbelief, you expose yourself to the Lord's discipline. If you sin of unbelief, you expose yourself to the Lord's discipline. The Lord answered Moses' prayer not to destroy them and not to bring another nation from Moses in verses 11 to 20. But he judged them in another way. Verse 28. Say to them, as I live, declares Yahweh, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. They wanted to die and not go into the land, verses 1 to 3. The Lord would give them what they wanted, but look at how he would do it. Verse 30, Numbers 14, 30. Surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to make you dwell 
in which I in which I swore to make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Go down to verse 33. The Lord keeps talking to them. Verse 33. And your sons, through Moses, and your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. And they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses come to an end in the wilderness. Verse 34. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. Yes, they would die. But not immediately. The Lord would take 40 years to take their lives. He definitely showed them mercy here. This was much gentler than killing them from a disease. Although their children would not die, they would be in the wilderness 40 years waiting, so to speak, for their parents to die. The desert for the children of these unbelievers, the desert would be the waiting room of death. A 40-year wait. This would have been an unforgettable lesson in refinement for their children. Their children would have truly seen that not believing the word of God comes at a high price. And think about this. What a waste of time and blessings. 40 years in the desert. And this... For having sinned of unbelief against God. Listen. Sin is always a waste of time and of blessing. Sin is always a waste of time and of blessing. Not only when you do it. But also by losing the blessings that come by sinning. And go down to verse 37. Numbers 14, 37. Even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague from before died by a plague before Yahweh. Thirty eight. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive out of those men who went to spy out the land. Notice that God killed the ten unbelieving spies through a disease. To them, the Lord did apply the judgment he had initially said he would apply to the whole nation. Why? Apparently because the ten spies were more responsible. They had seen the land. They had lied in their report. They had influenced Israel to sin. But the fact that they died there on the spot would have been an example to the rest of the unbelieving people that the Lord would really judge them as he had told them by not letting them enter the land and by killing them throughout 40 years. This was quite the refinement for Israel. I mean, and, and even after they heard this, in the rest of the chapter, you remember, we see that these unbelieving Israelites did not truly repent. What an example of human depravity. Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, as we heard from our pastor briefly this morning, Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 apply Numbers 13 and 14 in this way. Listen, make sure that you have truly repented and believed in Christ for salvation. Otherwise, your continued, your ongoing rejection of the gospel will lead to a hardening of heart, which will eventually manifest itself in abandoning the faith externally. 
Not because you had it, but because you never had it, as our pastor explained. And if you die in that condition of unbelief, rejecting the offer of love, of forgiveness of our Lord Jesus Christ to you, if you die in that condition of unbelief, you will end up in a state of eternal separation from the living God, receiving what you deserve for your sin in eternal hell. So we have seen, we have seen lessons on complaints, slander, unbelief, and finally, briefly, on faithfulness. Chapter 15, lessons on faithfulness. Let's finish with two lessons on faithfulness. Number one, faithfulness requires commitment. Faithfulness requires that you be committed to the Word of God. Faithfulness requires commitment. In spite of the sin of Numbers chapter 14, the Lord in His faithfulness and grace would give them the land He promised them. This is why in Numbers 15, the Lord treats them with the certainty that they would enter the land. The fruit of the land that they saw in chapter 13 would be offered by the children of the Israelites who would die when they enter the land. And we see this in verses 1 to 21. In verses 22 to 35, the Lord explained what the Israelites entering the land were to do with unintentional and intentional sins. Now, they had already seen a dramatic example of how the Lord judged intentional sin when he killed the ten unbelieving spies. But look at verses 32 through 36. He gave them, a, he gave them an example of an intentional sin and how they were to deal with it. Look at verse 32. Numbers 15, 32. Now the sons of Israel were in the wilderness. And they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering wood brought him near to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. And Yahweh said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as Yahweh had commanded Moses. What a dramatic situation. This was the second and last time in the Pentateuch that we see Israel applying the death penalty in obedience to the Lord. The first one was in Leviticus chapter 24. Only in these two passages, Leviticus 24 and Numbers 15, we find Israel applying the death penalty in obedience to the Lord. This showed, of course, their commitment to faithfulness at this point. And this is key for our faithfulness to our Lord, to be committed by the power of His Spirit to obeying the Scriptures. And look at one last lesson here. Verse 37. Faithfulness requires that you remember the Word of God. Faithfulness requires that you remember the Word of God. Numbers 15, 37. This might sound, this might sound a bit obvious to many of us, but this is what the text says. And, and this is what we have to apply in order to be faithful to the Lord. Look at it. Verse 37. Numbers 
Yahweh also spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. This will be like the tassel in a graduation cap. Now why the fashion statement? Verse 39. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and here's the key. Remember all the commandments of Yahweh so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes after which you play the harlot. Notice the natural inclination of them to follow their sinful desires. Even as believers, even in our day as part of the church, the Spirit living in us, we live in Romans 7, we still have remaining sin in us. We still have sinful desires. And if we're not placing the Word in us and submitting to it, we cannot walk in the Spirit. And therefore, as Galatians 5.16 says, we cannot walk in the Spirit in order to avoid fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Even as believers, even having been born again, we still have that sin principle in us. We still live in Romans 7. Remember, not doing what we want to do, but doing what we hate. That's still our tendency. And we have to remember that the word needs to be occupying our mind. Look at verse 40. Again, the emphasis, so that you, rem so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. These reminders were to have a refining effect on them because it would help Israel to remember to obey the Word of God. And again, the truth that we can apply from this text is this. As a Christian, you need to have the Scriptures in your mind in order to obey them. The Word needs to occupy your mind. Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. This is again Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But remember, the main truth in these chapters, all their complaints, their slander and unbelief were judged by the Lord, along with the exhortations to deal with sin and to remember the scripture. All of this was for the purpose of refining them so that the second generation would be ready to enter the land as they saw how much they sinned and how much they were judged and therefore how much grace they needed from the Lord in order that they would be able to walk in a spiritually refined way. And this, of course, pointed to their need of crying out for mercy in order for God to justify them as their father Abraham was Justified by faith alone, by grace alone, on the basis of what the seed would accomplish, the Lord Jesus Christ. And after so much sin and judgment in these chapters, we would have loved to see repentance and obedience. But you know that did not happen, as we'll see in the next section of Numbers next week, if the Lord wills. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful texts of your word.
just as your word always is powerful. We pray, Lord, that in your grace, your spirit will give us understanding in these truths. Help us to search our hearts. Apply the truth of your word in our lives so that we may honor you walking in obedience, expressing our love to you by the power of your spirit. Amen.